cope in lockdown as an elite athlete. Welcome to the Welsh Rugby Union podcast. In a few minutes, we'll hear from former Wales international Richard Parks on how he coped with lockdown, along with some interesting warnings. But first, let's take a look at the regions returning to action shortly, and in particular, the Scarlets, under new management with Glenn Delaney taking over. Backs coach Di Flanagan's also been working hard as part of the WIU's coach development scheme. So plenty going on. Di, welcome to the podcast. Just having come off the training pitch, just give us an idea of what's that like because training is presumably very different to what it was before we've had the first four weeks in real small groups groups of 10. that was interesting and we're trying to be as innovative as possible within the regulations and it's good it's nice to have a little bit of normality back and I'm sure the boys will echo it's great being back and is it nice that it's beginning to build up presumably over the last few weeks and, and with a restart not that far away yeah, it is, it is. Just focus for some games and just thinking how good they're going to be. Derby games, four strong Welsh regions, a showcase of rugby and what we have in Wales to offer. So, yeah, everyone's excited. And, of course, it's all changed for the Scarlets anyway. It would have been a very different season without the summer we've had, but with uh, a new coaching team coming in. What's that been like? It's been good. It's, it's a consistent change. So, Glenn was here working under Brad and has the exact same philosophy how the game should be played and how, how he runs his environment is very similar. He's got his own tweaks on it, obviously, being authentic and having the experiences he's had. But the rollover with Rich Kelly stepping up has been very smooth and nothing much has changed drastically. There's just like tweaks here or there. And we're definitely evolving as a team under what we built last year. And is there a feeling that you've got quite a lot to build on? Obviously, the Scarlet's recent success of uh, in the Pro 14 and also in Europe. Yeah, definitely. You just think of the fixtures we've got coming up, how good they're going to be. You know, we've got the Blues and then the Dragons on hopefully sunny days in Wales. And we've got the two long quarter final to look forward to. And we've had two fantastic games against them, one away and one home. Home one in tough conditions, but still a great game of rugby. And we're looking forward to that. And potentially if, if we do well and the results go away, there's, us, there's a semi-final place up for grabs. And we're gearing up for that. And how different is rugby going to be? There are going to be a few tweaks in the way the game's been played. You'll obviously have analysed what you think those will have an effect on and what they won't. Yeah, there's slight tweaks to the rules. You're watching the Super Rugby now and the, the referees have come to grips with that rule change and it's a very open game, very fluid. And But initially there's a bit of few teething problems. I'm sure people will echo that. A lot of whistleblowing and it's important that we get to grips with things very quickly here because we want to play an exciting brand of rugby, we want people to express themselves. So the more fluid the game and the more it flows, the better it would suit us, obviously. And as a backs coach, skills coach, presumably, you quite like these changes, do you? Yeah, the more, the more we can get the ball in play and the more, the more of a spectacle it can be, the better. Obviously, I'm a purist at heart and I really enjoy a scrum and line-up as well. Being from Ponty as a kid and the kicking games have been a massive weapon and something that I enjoy and the players enjoy because it's a, it's a quick way of t- eating ground and gaining the ball back. And obviously a long layoff and the end of the season having been disruptive, but coming back, as you say, with those derby matches and then the Toulon game, that's quite a big return. That must be something to look forward to. It is, yeah, it is. And uh, we're pumped to play in it. I'm sure people are pumped to watch it. It's been a long time since we've got some superstars all over Welsh rugby. If you look at Jamie Roberts return at the Dragons, the Blues got their superstars in their own right. Josh Adams is one of the form players. Bit of a, a strange way to end the season with your new recruits, but uh, one which we're excited for anyway. And what was the attitude when everybody did get back? Was it excitement? Was it relief? 
<laughs> yeah, it was massive excitement. Players have kept themselves in really good nick. You mentioned everybody keeping fit during lockdown. You and your coaching career, you spent that lockdown very productively. Just talk us through what you did. To give massive credit to Dan Clements and NYU, he, um, he put on an excellent service for coaches, allowed us to spend some time listening to some different people talk, but also connecting with other people. So I was able to speak to a lot of people during lockdown, mainly reflect as well on the season gone. We film a lot of meetings down here. So it's great to see the engagement. Are we delivering messages correctly? Are players having enough say on the way we do things? Are they excited leaving meetings to get better? So yeah, we spent a lot of time reflecting, but also challenging ourselves to learn part of that um, coaching scheme picking some of the best young welsh coaches because you look at the regions there are non-welshmen in charge everywhere it's an interesting scheme to try and bring the next generation through did the group of you sort of feel fairly privileged as a group of young welsh coaches yeah we're quite a tight group the one advantage we have in wales is everyone's very close so within an hour you can get from one region to the furthest region and the sharing, myself, Richard Fussell, Richard Reese, have all come through the similar age group stuff and played a lot of rugby together and, and kept in touch through and our coaching groups hopefully progress along the similar lines and you know, we challenge each other correctly but also share information is great on what works, what doesn't work and how you find in dealing with X, Y and Z and going through it together and that's the stuff Dan's able to facilitate for us. You know, there are a lot of talented young coaches in Wales. It's important that, first and foremost, the coaches stick at it because it's not going to be a smooth journey. I think there's going to be a lot of ups and downs and that's just the way of professional coaching. You watched Scott Parker's interview on TV the other day when Fulham got promoted. He was very honest and it was very real world. He's going to have a couple of nice weeks with his family and then he's back into the Premiership where it starts again. So to have them people you can speak to and learn off is massively important and it's important as coaches we stick in as well and fully buy into the opportunity we've been given. It's a weird situation, isn't it, with the lockdown, but in a way, do you think you might look back on it in four or five years' time and think that was a, a unique, beneficial opportunity that you've had? Oh, most definitely, and first and foremost is the opportunity to spend some time with two young kids, and they keep keep me active, and suddenly I'm going to work, and it's, oh, you're going to work? Oh, you've been pretty good in the house, having Dad around. So just seeing them grow up a little for the three months we were home, and kicking a ball around with a boy in the garden and spend some time with my daughter doing some homework and teaching and maths and that's the stuff I'll reflect on more importantly than the work if I'm honest the work was the add-on the stuff that got me excited around it but the day-to-day being there in the house and having the time we don't get we travel a lot the league travels a lot and yeah they sacrifice a lot for me to do what I do and it's important that when I get the opportunity to pay it back with time I give it to them that's a really good point but I suppose going back to the coaching side of it a lot of it was outside of rugby was that something that benefited you because so much of the time rugby is such a all-consuming thing once the season's going as you just said yeah definitely the one thing that we've put on that I've really been excited by is um, we've met a guy Kirk Villas from Google we were fortunate before lockdown October when we had the, the week off then to go and spend a couple of days in Google in London and just learn how to be creative but more importantly learn how to allow your group of players to be creative because there's a lot of knowledge in our group a lot of British Lions senior Welsh internationals but more importantly we have a lot of naive observers and we're able to learn a lot about them and sometimes they see things that others don't because they've never seen it before so they look at it a complete different way and it's how do we pull that information out of them to allow your more experienced players to still learn to see things a different way that was really interesting from my end 
So now you've come back into training and it's a fresh start anyway to a large degree. What have you done differently, do you think? So the meetings are capped. There's only certain times within two days you can spend in a meeting room. Obviously, we're a, we're a high-risk sport, so we need a really low-risk environment to, to nullify any spread of the virus if someone's to come with it. So uh, we have a lot of like walking and talking, less classroom, less sitting down, being spoken to, more like let's problem solve. Let's go around the picnic table in little groups and use a few blocks to play with. You're in charge of them, this person. This is a scenario, let's figure it out. And it's been great from my end to see certain people leading in different ways. And also you see players thinking about things differently because we're allowing them the license to do it. And not everyone sees the same picture when they look at it. And it's important we get the correct picture by the end of it. And is it also working out ways of transferring those new approaches onto the way people are playing on the pitch, what we can actually see once the action restarts? Most definitely, most definitely. The, the Scarlets have a brand that is true to them and a very exciting team to play, even more exciting team to coach because of the talent we have. And it's important we stick to them principles and for them principles to allow, you see, you see some of the coaches who've succeeded here, is to allow the talented players we have to have the freedom to make decisions and play what they see. Um, and that's an environment thing. You have to allow these players to take ownership, make decisions, be brave, and we're, we're building our environment. And It started with Brad and Glenn, and Glenn's taking it over now with us. And It's important that these players have the belief that when they enter the field, what they see is the correct decision. And that can start from your classroom work, your walkthroughs, your discussions between sessions, and then your decisions. How you allow players to develop during sessions and be brave in that way. And going back to March, like everybody, you had your injury worries, you had some of your star players not available. Is everyone fit and healthy and raring to go? Yeah, the boys have come back excited. You know, It's nice to see Patrick running around the ball in his hand. It's nice to see Jake Ball running around the ball in his hand. Sanjay's back training with a group. Yeah, this, without dropping too many names in there, there's a lot of talented players who want to play a lot of rugby this year because there's a big carrot at the end of it for a lot of players. And you know, we're here to help them achieve. And first and foremost, I think we all accept the better they play for us and the better we treat them, the more chance they have to succeed higher on us this year. And that's our job is to make these players better. And their job is hopefully to get better. Well, Di, great to talk to you. Glad to hear how things are going at the Scarlets. And uh, with the season not too far away, everyone's looking forward to it. Thanks very much for talking. Nah, Dioch, thank you very much. listening to the Welsh Rugby Union podcast. Richard Parks is a former Welsh Rugby International who's also made his name as an international explorer and extreme endurance athlete. He's some fascinating insights in terms of training, mental health and some relevant experiences from his own rugby career, as he told Rob Cole. Well Richard, I just wondered about you having been away to where it's north or south pole and been on so many different trips and adventures how was lockdown for you in cardiff did you feel confined and how did it affect you mentally so lockdown has been a real roller coaster for me rob on one level i felt very equipped for it and it's given us as a family and me some real positive opportunities but on the other hand you know it's been unlike anything I've experienced and like the rest of us I've, I've had some some tougher times and some darker moments the thing that I've really struggled with is the loss of kind of momentum and the loss of autonomy and freedom which is different to isolation isolation 
I kind of developed the toolbox of skills to, to manage and you know things like structuring my day and our day as a family and creating those kind of daily routines and being smart about how you create emotional connections to people when you can't physically engage with them like that's one thing where I've struggled and which has been kind of different to life on expedition is not feeling like I'm, I'm moving forward that it took me by surprise a bit my default is very busy uh, I enjoy it you know it's who I am it's how I thrive and, and like most people out there I'm, I'm certainly not alone you know being confined to our flat in the docks in Cardiff with a toddler my entire focus for those few months were what well, our focus as a family were, you know was managing Fred in the flat trying to work trying to keep the flat tidy all, all these things that I just found really uh, it became almost impossible to kind of nourish or to be as productive as I would normally and things you know like my training has dropped off the scale you know I've seen other people kind of make massive fitness gains I've not been able to do that that's been quite challenging for me you know without getting too heavy my productivity and my ability to work is intrinsically linked to my kind of self-image and self-worth and and all that kind of quite heavy stuff it's been wonderful on one hand but on the other hand it has been really tough <laughs> i don't want to like over egg this but it was a pretty unique experience for me because i i'd spent six weeks in antarctica on my own and the challenge there was isolation because actually you know every single second of every single day i had a purpose and that was to put one foot from the other and, and reach the south pole and within uh, a month six weeks of being back which kind of went in the blink of an eye we were thrust into this really bizarre lockdown experience that none of us could have prepared for and all the coping strategies that i spent years developing with nick my performance director to help that reintegration just got completely taken off the table so um it's been a really bizarre nine months for me if i'm being really honest but so, um, so confinement and containment uh, the caged tiger scenario <laughs> is potentially worse than isolation is it yeah well yeah for me definitely <laughs> so coming back out of isolation or coming back out of containment and, and lockdown <laughs> what lessons are there and putting your uh, perspective onto how the professional rugby players coming back into what they love doing how are they going to cope with that and are there a few pitfalls maybe so the kind of two thought processes that i think the one is the internal adjustment or the self-adjustment and the other one is how you interact and relate with the world those kind of two thoughts and, and i think i think the one the one common theme with lockdown with everyone who i've spoken to is regardless of your situation and your family life and your home life everyone's had their mountain everyone has had their real challenge and and that for some people it's been the isolation i've got friends that live on their own and that's tough for them for me it was the confinement and the loss of nature and physical activity i think for many people regardless of their experience lockdown has challenged an introspection that we wouldn't normally have the time or the head capacity to engage with in, in normal day-to-day -day life i'm quite used to that and I, i'll be honest i i actually thrive on that opportunity to grow some people will have some you know, that's what i mean when i say kind of self-adjustment yes, yeah. And I think the challenge is to protect that capacity as the world reopens and as life speeds up again, so that you can protect the things that add value to your life. 
and you can develop a clarity to get rid of the bits that don't. In six months time or even six weeks time, we can look back and see it as a source for good. Some people, it has been really tragic, so that inevitably will be either not possible or take much longer. You know, the second thing is, it's incredible how quickly we adapt. Change is, is always terrifying at first for all of us. It, it's in our nature and our psyche, but the kind of paradox to that is how good we are at adapting. And, you know, in the space of four months, I think it'll be a real challenge for some people to reintegrate and to recalibrate how they interact with people. Yeah. It's harder to kind of connect with people when you're wearing a face mask, which I'm fully supportive of, yeah. but there's a style to how we speak online yeah. that is very different to how we interact face to face. All these kind of other bits and bobs will all take time to kind of level out. And I, and I think the understanding that there will be a period of, of adjustment and understanding that things will feel alien and clunky and we, we might not default back to how we were as quickly as we want. And actually we might never default back to how we were because I, I see that as, as something positive. When you put that into a professional sporting context mm. as well, when you've got lots of teammates around you, communication's key mm. and there's a lot of assessment that goes into it. It was interesting the point you made about self-image, you know, coming out of something where maybe self-doubt creeps in because you haven't been doing what you've, you've been used to for yeah. so long. You get out of that rhythm. Mm. Yeah, so I, I can only speak for myself on this, but the value and the confidence that we get from applying a trade and being good at that trade, you can't underestimate that. And uh, certainly when, when injury ended my career, the biggest impact for me was, was the impact that it had on my self-identity and self-worth and how that affected my mental health. And actually, for those men and women that are caught up in the pandemic from a sporting context and certainly in a rugby context, you know, some of the players will breeze through it and they'll be oblivious to this, of course. Um, but for some, it will have been a, a monumental wobble. There is a level of anxiety that comes with playing professional sport that I think a lot of people outside of sport might not fully appreciate. That's that, you know, your entire livelihood or, or life is on a two-year cycle. And, you know, on one level, you try not to think about it. And on another level, you have to plan meticulously to cope with that. And... There are real financial implications in sport that the pandemic has challenged. And, you know, there's so much uncertainty around when the game's going to start again, how the game is going to look. There are real financial implications to the professional game, let alone the grassroots game, because, you know, there are two conversations here, but the same mental health impact to the players. That, no doubt, will be a source of anxiety for players. You know, some players will be very good at managing their finances, other players will be financed up to the hilt. I've heard horrific stories of players financing watches and financing cars and all that kind of stuff because in normal circumstances, they have the ability to, to make the monthly payments. As with everything, there'll be a spectrum. The mental health or the kind of mental impacts of when am I going to be able to play rugby again? And am I going to be able to play rugby again? And are they going to cut the size of the squads? You know, all these kind of conversations. And there'll be some players that will feel this anxiety less, obviously the the top 10%. But actually, you know, the vast majority of players in professional sport, the regional level, you know, won't be on a national contract. Yeah. They won't have that kind of security. It's really admirable that the players have taken a, a salary cut. Power to them. If, if I was in their shoes, I, I would have done the same because it it is about the game. But equally, 
whatever wage packet you're on, the vast majority of people live to that wage packet. So there's a bigger question there, and that's the sustainability of the professional game, you know, yeah. full stop. And that's something I'm I'm not expert enough to kind of to kind of have an opinion on. But as a player, if you're offered the contract, you're going to take it. Yeah, but these are unprecedented yeah. times, right? And you know, if I was a player, I'd rather have a job on 75% of my salaries and not have yeah. a job at all. And and I think that's where most of the rugby clubs are in. And yeah. my understanding is that most of the clubs, whether it be in England or Wales, are you know, are largely being propped up by a very small handful of benefactors, which which not all industries have that luxury, right? It's worth being really honest about yeah. what the situation is. And, but the second thing, you know, is, is there will have been a, a real spectrum in the focus of the players through lockdown players would have trained at the same level as they would have had the pandemic not hit and actually those players might well come back in better shape now for some time off certainly some of the soft tissue impact injuries would have had a chance to settle because you know very few people play without an injury week in week out so the ability to have some time to actually rest and recover will have been a benefit but then equally, there will be the guys and girls at the other end of the spectrum that, for whatever reason, family life or, or, or illness or, or caring, would have not had that opportunity to sustain or maintain their performance level. So the conditioners and the squads will have their work out for them to get everyone back up to a safe conditioning. In your personal background, you went through a little bit of this with the Celtic Warriors, didn't you? I yeah. Mean, that, was, that was an interesting uh, period. Oh, it was terrifying, Rob. You know, make no bones about it, it took me 10 years to pull myself out of the death of, of that period. So went from Pontypri to the Warriors. I was made an offer by Phil Davis at Leeds. It was a very difficult decision. I had a lot of time for Phil and, you know, the setup at Leeds was a fantastic yeah. one, but I made the decision. I, I wanted to stay in Wales and I wanted to give regional rugby the opportunity and on paper the Warriors were the strongest team mm. in my opinion and I was really excited to join with Bridgend and play with some of those players and I loved that year absolutely loved that year you know on paper we had not on paper we had a team of internationals we had like of a squad of 2021 20, I'm pretty sure 20 were internationals yeah. the two best captains I played under were on the same squad so Paul John and Gareth Thomas Alfie fantastic year and again, I can only speak for my, but I personally had just bought a new house in the docks in Cardiff that year. I was in the national squad, having just missed out on the World Cup, but I was on standby. I was in the national squad, just bought a new house. We were the best Welsh region that year. You know, I had got man of the match against Wasps when we beat Wasps. We were, the, we were the only side to beat Wasps, playing out position at number eight. I was buoyed and very excited about what the future held for me and I remember the last game of the season it was Mervyn Davis's was it his birthday or, or his stag do I can't quite remember yeah. actually but anyway we played out in Connaught all the boys stayed out in Connaught we had a end of season kind of debrief and the opportunity to celebrate with, with Mev and uh, when we arrived back in Cardiff we were told to come into the Vale we all assumed it was an end of season debrief at that point there were no rumours no murmurs there wasn't social media to kind of leak this kind of stuff to and, and we arrived at the Vale and we were just told in no uncertain terms that the decision had been made to reduce the number of regions to four. Deal had been done and the Warriors were disbanded and the mechanism they used to disband it meant that there was no redundancy, there was no payout, there was nothing. It was just, that's it. 
I think the next day or a couple of days and we'll have a conversation about where you guys play your rugby and, and it was it was like being pushed off the edge of a cliff it was it took you know some time to process it all but I remember going back home to the house and I was a, a young man at that point I had a television a sofa and a bed that's all I needed in the house it was empty it hadn't been furnished yet yeah. um, just sitting there thinking what I'd literally turned down a, an opportunity to play in Leeds which seemed like a good idea at the time but now I was regretting and the first person I called was, was Phil Davis and said you know I don't know if you know what happened but is the, the opportunity still there and bearing in mind this was done as well right at the end of the season when most of the other clubs in, in Europe had reached their player quotas had filled their rosters had, there was very little opportunity so anyway we were called back in a few days later or the day later and we were told that the regions had communicated and the mechanism used to dissolve the Warriors meant that they'd gone bankrupt or insolvent or, yeah. or something which meant actually the other four regions had access to the players' wages, players' income and they'd been able to negotiate amongst themselves where players went. So we were called in one at a time with a representative from each of the other four regions, sat down and basically told where we were going to be playing, which seemed wholly wrong to me. Yeah. I was given the opportunity to wait a year and go to the Scarlets or to go to the Ospreys on under half of what I was being paid. Bear in mind, I, I was in the national squad at that time and one of the top players in Wales at that time. I made the decision to, to not play in Wales then. A very, very nervous month followed. You know, I had talks with Bath, I had talks in France, you know, I, I, I had an agent working for me at the time and everybody was coming back with the same answer, really, the same statement, you know, we'd love to have you here, but we've got no place or no budget. And I was uh, just bouncing around at sea, really, you know, so the decisions I made in my life to that point had really been all or nothing. I dropped out of dentistry to pursue a career in professional sport. A lot of the monthly bills. I couldn't change my food bill because I was a professional athlete. I my savings only only went so far at that point. So I say power to Paul Caddick, who owned Leeds at the time, and Phil Davis, who was a coach at the time, the director of rugby. They put a package together that meant I was able to play professional rugby, even though they'd already filled their roster. And I went up to Leeds, was able to not only apply my trade again, but actually we we won the Power Gen Cup that year. We with the most successful team in Leeds history and uh, I made some life friends up there and, and, and actually alongside Ponapreve was the happiest period of my rugby career. I loved heading Lee, I loved Yorkshire and uh, but that was a terrifying experience and, and the, the financial ramifications of that took, I don't exaggerate, but took a long time to recover from. And Were you that, particularly flash? No, I don't think so. No, no I mean, look, you know, like like all, I say like all the players, like most people, you know, I, I had a nice car, wasn't the flashiest, but you know, it was, a, it was a nice car. I was aspirational, so I, I had a nice house in the docks. But you could afford it then, yeah. and you, you felt you were... Very interesting, your eyes narrowed a bit then. It mm. obviously still bites hard. Yeah, it you? does, yeah. Yeah, yeah it does. I, I think the, um, there are three parts, I think, to my emotions around this time. I think the first time was the anxiety that it created, and I've been quite open about my mental health challenges. I, I would love there to be a much more honest conversation around mental health and well-being in sport, in industry, in, in society. We all feel comfortable talking about a bad leg or a bad back. It seems insane to me that we don't have the same confidence to talk about 
the natural ebbs and flows of how we feel. But actually, I, although I never put a, a label on it, you know, I, I suffered with mild anxiety most of my career. I still have my moments now. Designing and executing expeditions in the outdoors gives me the opportunity to not only develop, but practice the skills that I transfer back into my life to manage those. But the one feeling that I had at the time was just the fear and the anxiety was that came from the uncertainty. It was always there, don't get me wrong, but, but actually that, that was really impactful. The reality that my livelihood and my place in the world was out of my control, that sense of being let down or the impact on you know my trust and, and not, I don't want to make it too heavy but you know you sign a contract and then exactly. you, you know it, it's not worth the papers written on yeah. you, know, you know so that, that's one thing and then the third thing was you know it I was a younger man then and I didn't have the time to kind of dwell on it too much but actually you know we on one hand I would have run through walls for my team and I made a living being a pain in the ass and a certain type of player but on the other hand our existence is just so precarious well, what you see on the pitch isn't necessarily the man you meet no, in the street. No, not at all. Or, or, or even the man that looks in the mirror at night, yeah. you know, and, and I think, obviously, of course, I've moved on and I've been able to grow from those experiences. But, you know, there will be guys, I think, and girls that feel equally precarious. But you found a way. Confidence in your ability is one mm. thing. What they've got to do now is focus on what you're good at but at least the fabric of the game is still there and the entities are still there. Or do they worry, well, how much longer will it last? So I think there is a question about where the game goes. There are big questions about the game before the pandemic and to a large extent, the players were removed from that. They were being talked about in the clouds of the game, but actually that's still there. And, and the, you know, what the pandemic has done is accelerated thinking and accelerated evolution across all sectors. But what the pandemic has done is brought it right back down to the players. And that there is a question about you, you know what the game looks like when the game starts again. And what it can afford. Yeah, and what it can afford. And you know the size of squad, size of salaries, all that kind of stuff. Um, the priority has to be looking after yourself and looking after the players and the staff. Because it's not just about the players. There'll be backroom staff, there will be stadium staff that are still on furlough that won't come back as soon as the players come back. As a society, we only see the top percent of the game. We see the 15 players on the pitch for those 80 yeah. minutes. There are hundreds of staff that service the vans, wash the kit, stewards. There are hundreds of people that are associated with the game that, and then you look at the volunteers, you know, that will be impacted by the way the game goes. And, and I think the game has a responsibility to look after the people. Some of that will be communication, some of that will be looking after well-being and mental health and, and some of that will be making difficult decisions about you know how the game is sustainable moving forward. The players have got to go back to owning what they can control and that's their own well-being, their own preparation and, and how they serve their team. But actually you know this is an opportunity to be part of something bigger and you have to have one eye on the bigger picture because the bigger picture influences your experience yeah. as well. And would you have been prepared to have taken a 25% pay cut and kept the Warriors going? Yeah, I would have. I, I, for those of us that came from Pontypridd, we were acutely aware that we were part of something bigger. We were acutely aware that we were serving a community, we were serving a part of Wales that we loved. We weren't different with that, but we, those of us that played at Pontypridd, that came from Pontypridd, we had a feeling of being part of something bigger. Yes. 
I can't speak for everybody, but when I think about some of the boys that were involved in the Pont and Breathe side that went to the Warriors, a lot of us were local lads, reasonably. Most of the boys were local, and, and I think most of the boys would have chosen to continue playing their trade in that region. Hindsight's a wonderful yeah. thing, right? But the devastation of having it the rug, because the other thing that is unspoken here is that that was a team that, given five years, would have been the best team in Wales and maybe oh, yeah. could have graduated to be quarter-finalist, semi-finalist, even yeah. a winner in Europe. The decision was a financial decision. It wasn't a performance decision. Yeah. That's obvious, right? And you weren't party to any of the part of that decision? No, 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 no but you're absolutely right. We certainly had the opportunity to, to be one of the best sides in Britain, if not, if not Europe. And actually, had we been allowed to grow, we would have had one of the strongest fan bases as well. Yes. So, so the short-term view probably was that it wasn't financially sustainable, but actually the long-term view m might have been different. Yes, yeah. You'd love to be 25 again, though, wouldn't you? No. I feel in a really good place at the moment because I, pandemic excluded, I'm still a full-time athlete. Physically, I'm as fit as I've ever been. A very different type of athlete, but physically I'm fit. But I'm, I feel wiser now to make little, to make yeah. better decisions. But um, yeah. so I don't know if I would go back. I, I, that I'm, brick wall I, isn't quite so appealing anymore, is it? No. Well, I, I learnt now. I can, I can go around it or over it. So there goes the better decisions yeah. in life. But um, I think, in a nutshell, I think the uh, we should never underestimate the amount of adjustment and the amount of the impact that the uncertainty and the volatility in the situation yeah. has, has had on, on players. Some of that will be home lives. Some of that will be the well-being of family members. Some of that will be finances. Some of that will be, you know, where they sit in the game. Some of that will be the game itself. Yeah. And it's really easy to look at the players as commodities. When they come out of this, okay, the, the stadiums won't be full, but we really do need to support these players rather yeah. than say, oh, he dropped the ball or whatever, you know. They desperately need support and validation at the moment, I think, before we come out of a, a season that's not going to give anyone any of the regions any sucker but go into another one and into we don't know what is going to be ahead so perhaps there's something we can all do to support people power to the game for being courageous enough to make that tough decision in order to support the game like i said you know there were some big questions being asked of the game before the pandemic mm. the pandemic has has only accelerated that situation so some interesting comparisons there. Keep listening out next week for some more Welsh Rugby news and updates on the WRU podcast. Until then, goodbye and stay safe.